Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In this episode, I interview best-selling author and renowned scientist, Dr. David Sinclair, on longevity, why aging is a disease, how to reverse this disease through lifestyle changes, how to bounce back from failure, how to deal with criticism, David's involvement with finding a coronavirus vaccine, and so much more. Dr. David Sinclair is a professor in the Department of Genetics and co-director of the Paul F. Glenn Center for the Biology of Aging at Harvard Medical School. He is best known for his work on understanding why we age and how to slow its effects. He is an inventor on 35 patents and has received more than 35 awards and honors. In 2014, he was on Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people in the world and listed as Time's top 50 in healthcare in 2018. Dr. David Sinclair, what an absolute honor to have you in the studio with me today. Your work is outstanding. What you've done and achieved is phenomenal, and I'm a big fan. So I'm so grateful for you accepting to do this interview, and I'm very excited to talk to you today. Well, thanks, Caroline. I admire what you do too. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you so much. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself that's not in your bio, that people are always interested to know that kind of stuff, you know, and what got you interested in longevity and anti-aging in the first place? Well, I'm the kind of person that, that cannot stand not knowing stuff. So curiosity is, is what gets me. And I grew up on the, the outskirts of Sydney, what used to be the outskirts, which was we called the bush. And in the bush, the forest, there were plenty of mm-hmm plants and animals and things. So I would spend my time like Christopher Robin, though it wasn't Winnie the Pooh, it was my, my little brother, walking <laughs> through the forest, looking at stuff, talking to animals, jumping off things, building forts. So I grew up also in a family that was headed by two parents who were biochemists. And they would talk about feces and urine and all this terrible blood stuff at the <laughs> dinner table. So I think I had no choice but to become a scientist, but I really wanted to to make my mark on the world, or more importantly, leave the world a better place than I found it, really. And it was my grandmother who partly raised me because my mother was working, and she taught me that humans are capable of really horrible things. My grandmother grew up in, in Hungary and lived through the Depression and World War II mm. and the aftermath, which was horrible. She escaped to Australia at the risk of her own life and my father's, but helped raise me and taught me that humans can do great good as well. And that it's my job in in my life to to use all my capabilities to make the world a better place. And I became fascinated with aging because my grandmother didn't lie at all. She was always brutal. And when I asked her what's going to happen in the future, she said, oh, everything you love and everything you know is going to die one day. And that was a real shock. I was about four years old. And I thought, well, why doesn't somebody, why, why don't people talk about that more often? Why is it this big secret? And so that mm. was the start of it all. 
Oh, that's fascinating. That's incredible. You know, it's good to have people that are honest in your life and they tell you things straight and as they are. At four years of age, you got stimulated to study longevity, didn't quite even realize it. That's amazing. David, your book, you've just released a book recently and it's it's fascinating, amazing book called Lifespan, where you say aging is a disease. Can you talk about this and why it's important that we look at aging this way? And what even is aging? Yeah, well, well, aging is a a process that we we didn't really fully understand until quite recently. And I would actually hesitate to say we fully understand it, but we have a much better idea of what's going on. Similar to the way in the 1940s and 50s, we didn't really know what caused cancer or heart disease. And in those days, there was nothing much we could do if people were dying from heart failure or had cancer. Pretty much we would, as doctors, I'm not an MD, but doctors would take out the tumor in the case of cancer and tell you to go home and pack your things. There was nothing you could do. And we think of aging the same way because we don't really understand it. We we didn't until recently. But now that we have this grasp on what aging is, it's this very clear process that I can describe in a minute, but basically it's a loss of information in the body. I have of the very strong opinion, and you can read in my book, that we should Mm -hmm. address aging the same way we do heart disease and cancer. And that's that's a shock to a lot of people, even Mm. doctors who treat, treat aging. Gerontologists don't think about why we age, they just are there to treat the symptoms of aging. And I want to make an argument that the reason, so modern medicine is built on trying to prevent us from falling off the edge of a cliff, but Mm -hmm. we don't even ask the question or do much about trying to prevent us from getting to that cliff in the first place. And that's what my career is about. But one last thing I want to add is there's a very practical reason why we should think of aging as a disease. In fact, I'm trying to lobby governments to declare aging a medical condition. The practical reason is that right now, if we have a drug that slows aging, and I believe that we do have one that's already on the market to treat type 2 Mm -hmm. diabetes called metformin, your doctor will be extremely cautious and hesitant to give you that medicine until you get type 2 diabetes. Never Mm -hmm. mind the fact that it will very likely prevent type 2 diabetes. And that's a problem. We shouldn't be practicing medicine this way. We should be providing very safe, very cheap medicines to people before they actually get those diseases of aging. That's brilliant. That's such a brilliant way of looking at it. So when people hear that you say that aging should be a disease, they're going to get confused. And I'm sure you get this all the time. Are you talking about, I mean, we can't avoid the fact that we're going to get older, and but you don't have to get older with being sick all the time. Is that what you're saying? Is that how you're explaining it? Yeah, right. Well, think of heart disease. We cannot cure heart disease. We cannot completely prevent it, but we still try to slow it down. And I'm mm-hmm. saying the same thing about aging. And it's not that I'm afraid of dying. In fact, if anyone's seen how I drive my car, they would know that's <laughs> not the case. It's more about, I think we could have much bigger bang for the buck in our healthcare system, in our research, in medicines that we pres- that doctors prescribe, if we go after aging itself, which is 95% the cause of diseases in the world but we're in denial. If you look Mm. up the definition in a medical textbook, what is disease? It says it's a a loss of physical capability, optimal function over time that leads to disability. So what is Mm. aging if it's not that? And when you look up aging, what that is in the same medical dictionary, it says it is a decline in function over time leading to diseases and death, but it happens to more than 50% of people. Now that last bit, that's ridiculous. Just because it happens to most people doesn't mean that it's any less important. I would argue it's even more important to understand what's going on. 
Mm. It's like we just have to accept that when we get old, we get sick, which is ridiculous. We don't, it doesn't have to be like that. As humans, we've never accepted that. Everything else about our lives, look around the room, nothing in our lives is, is acceptable if it's painful and traumatic. We try to minimize these things. But for some reason, aging is just something we still have trouble dealing with in terms of trying to address it as though we have to live with illness and sickness caused, caused by aging. Otherwise, life wouldn't have meaning. And that, in my view, is complete rubbish. Oh, I agree with you. It's just such a distorted view of what we could have. You know, what really caught my attention is when you say that 80% of health in old age is up to you. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, the way you manage your life is switching on the longevity genes. Can you explain that? Yeah. So the information theory of aging, as I call it, says that there are, there are two types of information in the body. There's the genetic code, and then mm -hmm. there's the, the readers of that code, and that we call the epigenome. Mm -hmm. And these are essentially the, the structures in the cell that tell which genes should, should stay off and which ones should come on. And it, it makes a skin cell different from a nerve cell, from a liver cell. Very important, mm -hmm. of course, for our health. And we think that, I think during aging, what's happening is that the reader, uh, think of it as for the old folks, a, a needle on a record player or a, or a laser on a DVD, it eventually has trouble reading that. So you get scratches on the disc. And what ends up happening in an old cell, I think, is that they don't read the genes in a healthy way anymore. And genes that should be switched off in the brain start to come on. And the brain starts to be confused. It thinks it's part liver, it's part skin, it's part brain. So that, that's what I think is going on. And the great thing about the epigenome is that it can change. Unlike your DNA, mm -hmm. which you get from your parents that never changes, you're stuck with it. And it's pretty hard to choose your parents well. You can choose mm -hmm. to live a healthy lifestyle and do all the right things. And that changes your epigenome. And that's the 80% of longevity and health in old age. Mm. And so there's so much we can do in our lives. We used to think genes were destiny. That's not the case for aging. Mm, I'm so glad you brought this up because it's something I talk to my listeners about a lot and I've written about this as well in terms of mind, not in terms of aging like you have, but the importance of the epigenome and the importance of how your mind's involved in epigenetic effects. I'm just so excited when I read that in your work and, and the, the way that you approach that. You give such practical ideas for how we can control our lifestyle to activate the correct epigenetic patterns inside of us. Can you talk just about a couple of those things? You can knock off 14 years by just, I don't want to give your work away because you, you explain it so well. Can you explain that? Well, we, we've been working on a set of genes that we first discovered in yeast cells. These are yeast cells that you use to make bread and beer. And we, we call them sirtuins. There are seven sirtuin genes in the body and they control, along with other, other genes, the epigenome. And so when you have more of these sirtuin genes, or when you turn them on more, I should say, it's, it's healthier and it, it stabilizes the epigenome. And in the analogy of that disc or the record, you're slowing down the scratching process. Mm. That's what we think. So how do you turn on your sirtuin genes? Well, many years ago, we showed that if you're hungry, whether you're a yeast cell or a mouse or a human, that turns on many of these sirtuin genes more than usual. Conversely, if you eat too much, you become obese and you're never hungry, they start to switch off, which is why I think in large part we develop diseases faster and get older mm. faster if we eat too much. Another thing you can do, which probably is not surprising now, you probably guessed it, is mm -hmm. exercise. 
exercise turns on the sirtuin genes to protect us as well. And we find that if we turn on these these genes artificially in a mouse, those mice are super healthy. They can run further. They have more blood flow. They are protected from diabetes. And so these, what I'm telling you is probably not news, that you want to be lean, fit, and you know not overeat. But the mechanism may be new to a, a lot of people that we think that there are these longevity genes that underlie the health benefits. Mm. So when people are actually eating less and doing exercise and not smoking, all these things, this is actually doing high-intensity training. And you said also one of the things is get hypoxic, lose your breath, which I would love you to pick up on. But when people are doing this, you, you're knocking off, you said, 14 years in terms of aging just by making those decisions. But in addition to that, you've actually discovered these longevity genes as well, which get activated through those type of things. But also you have developed the chemicals that or the molecules that can actually affect this. Yeah, that's right. That's that's right. So that we're learning both what people can do to maximize their longevity in terms of high intensity exercise, losing your breath. If you can't carry out a conversation, that's a good good start during your exercise. Lifting weights seems to help. Being cold, being hot, not too hot, but sauna seems to be beneficial for health. And even eating the right types of foods seems to be great for turning on these defenses. And what we're also learning is that we can turn on these defenses artificially with molecules, both natural and synthetic. And so I've devoted my career in part to finding these molecules, learning about them and turning them into medicines eventually, I hope. Looking for something productive to do while in quarantine? Well, you know I always recommend making building your brain a part of your routine. Brain building is one of the best ways to improve your mood, cognitive flexibility, boost imagination and creativity, and help reduce anxiety and depression. So, how do you build your brain? Read. And one of the best ways to read and learn and grow is by using Blinkist, my favorite way to get more reading done. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book while you clean your house, exercise or my personal favorite while you go for walks. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books. All the books you want for all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf, try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link will be in the show notes. Can you speak about that mechanism of the monounsaturated fats and avos and olive oil and how you can mimic this literally in the, in the lab? Well, you have done with your, the chemicals that you've been working on. And there is veritrol. I mean, you're famous for that. Could you speak about those things? Yeah, it, it's funny that, that people who study healthy diets and towns that, that tend to have a lot of people that live over 100 so-called centenarians mm-hmm. have come upon 
very much the same conclusions as my lab and others have come to by studying the, the enzymes and the molecular basis of aging. It, it's really just in the past few years all come together into one beautiful concept. So what the concept is that, that these sirtuin genes, they make enzymes that protect the cell. And how they do that, it's quite complicated. We could spend an hour on that. We won't. But these enzymes, they tell other proteins in the cell to protect the body, repair DNA, mm -hmm. boost metabolism, that kind of thing. Now, you can turn on these enzymes a few different ways. I mentioned exercise and, and being hungry, but there are other ways. You can, you can eat what I call xenohormetic molecules. Xenohormetic mm -hmm. means if your food is stressed out, you'll get the benefits from eating that food because the plants are making molecules in order to survive. And those molecules we found activate the sirtuin enzymes. The mm. classic one that you mentioned, Caroline, is resveratrol. Resveratrol is made by grapes and grape vines as well, the stems. Mm -hmm. And they do that mostly when they're under stress. So how do people who make wine, winemakers, they they make the best wine by dehydrating the vines before they pick the grapes. They do that, obviously, not for health reasons. They do it to make better wines. Wow. But part of the reason that you have better wines when the plants are stressed is that these xenohermetic molecules are produced and they give the color and the taste to the wine. But we found that those same molecules, in particular resveratrol, but some others also in wine, stimulate our body's defenses by activating sirtuins. And just very recently, you mentioned olive oil. Another lab basically beat me to what I was searching for, which was, is there something in our own bodies that we make that turns on the sirtuins, a little molecule that mimics resveratrol? It turns out it's oleic acid. When we're hungry, we break down our fat, oleic acid comes out into our bloodstream and seems to turn on the sirtuin enzyme, number, mm -hmm. the number one enzyme. But oleic acid might sound familiar. Oleic acid is found in foods such as olive oil and nuts and avocados. Mm, wow. That's amazing. So we've got the process is already happening inside of our own bodies and we can accelerate that through diet and all these other things. And then also we can help you developing the molecules to actually help this process along even further. Exactly. Yeah. So living a good, healthy lifestyle, as we've discussed and I talk about in my book, as well as eating the right foods, as long as you know what to pick, you can probably live many years longer, I think. And that 14-year number comes from a study that was out of Harvard, the School of Public Health. They found that if you just, just do the five standard things, not the, the, the souped up, more detailed things that are also in my book and we, we're talking about, mm -hmm. but just the, the things like don't smoke, don't get obese, sleep well, have a social network. I forget what the, the fifth one was, but these usual things. Do you remember, Caroline, what yeah, the fifth one the basic, was? Yeah, the basic, I've got to exercise, not smoking, skipping meals, losing your breath, high-intensity training. Yeah. So those basic things that we're often told to do will give you an extra 14 years. Now, if you do more than that, eat the precise foods that we're finding, turn on longevity. If you do just the right exercise in the right ways at the right time, I think 14 years is just the beginning. 
That's incredible. So that's fascinating that the, with the polyphenols specifically, how they are under stress. And that's the Okinawa diet, because I know you said that that's what you eat. And, and I've actually interviewed Dan Butner, by the way, and about the blue zones. And, and it's, you know, it's fascinating how your work is literally proving what he's saying, isn't it? I mean, it's underscoring everything that he's been saying about that he's discovered with the longevity. So you eat the Okinawa diet. Can you talk about that? Well, I eat other things now, because now that my wife and I have three kids. It's pretty hard to eat tofu every night, but it, exactly. uh, I tried my best. <laughs> so the Okinawa diet, uh, gosh, I, I ate it pretty much through my my 30s and I was so fit and, and lean. What it is is, so people on, in, on the island of Okinawa on average live longer than the rest of Japan and certainly the US. And it's due to their diet, we think, and, and Dan thinks, because if you take someone from the island and or if they volunteer to move to Hawaii, which has happened, they don't live longer anymore. Mm. So it's something about what they're doing in their lifestyle. So what they do is they eat tofu, of course. That's a main protein source. They eat a little bit of fish, but they eat mostly vegetables, green leafy vegetables, which have these xenohermetic molecules and mm. iron and a lot of good vitamins. But they're also active and they have a great social network. And together, we think that's the reason for their longevity. Mm, that's incredible. Well, what would you say that the role that mind plays in longevity? You know, getting back to my world where I work with mind and how do you see mind playing a role in longevity? Oh, the mind is a major part of this. We, we didn't really understand why it was so important to have mental health as well in terms of reducing chronic mental stress. There, there are really two types of stress. I study the biological stress, the, the type of stress that that the sirtuins respond to, so exercise and, and hunger. Mm -hmm. But the brain, it turns out, also controls longevity. And one of the reasons we know that, or at least have, have a lot of confidence in saying that, is that if, if you manipulate, I don't do this, but there was a study in, in New York at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, they were able to change parts of the brain that just particular parts of the brain in terms of reducing inflammation in the brain. And there was also a study out at, in St. Louis at WashU where they turned on one of the sirtuin genes, put extra copies of the sirtuin gene into the brain of a mouse. And in both those cases, the mice were healthier and they lived longer. So what that tells us is the brain controls the body. We know that from a health standpoint, but also longevity. Mm, and then what controls the brain? We have but what how we how we actually choose to, you know, run our lifestyles, how we're thinking and feeling and the choices that we make is having such a massive impact on the brain. I've just finished a clinical trial where I've been looking at this directly and we looked at we looked at various different physiological and, and neurophysiological measures and it's exactly what you're saying that if we don't manage how we are thinking, we don't manage our mind, the brain does get inflamed. We do it even down to the telomeres. You know, we found some of the millennials had biological ages of, of 65, but their chronological age was 24. And I mean, that's just, you sitting with a body like that, you may be 24, but what's your future going to look like? You know, so it's, I, I'm just so glad that you're dealing, talking about this and that your brilliant book that I strongly recommend that people get, and the link will be in the show notes, that People look at this thing differently because I think people, as you said right in the beginning, they just resign themselves to, oh, when I get old, I get sick. But you don't have to. You can be a contributing healthy member of, of society for many, many years. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Mental health, physical health, it, it can change the course of your life in terms of decades at the, at the end of life. Now, my father is case study 
number one in my family. I love it so when you talk about him. I'm glad you brought him up. So we're a family of scientists. My brother, my my wife has a PhD. My parents, as I mentioned, were scientists. So we're real nerds. And <laughs> we, we, we talk about science quite a lot. And my father, as a biochemist, he was studying my research. He was reading it. And he came to the conclusion pretty early on that he could make a difference in his life. So in his 50s, he started exercising. He would go for long walks and go to the gym, lift weights and do, do a bit of running, you know, quarter, quarter marathon, that kind of thing. That was great for his 50s. In his 60s, he became more intense. He started taking resveratrol, late 60s. And in his 70s, he started taking some of the other things that we've worked on and others have worked on, such as metformin, because mm-hmm. his blood sugar had just tipped over into the type 2 diabetes scale even though I would argue it, it should not be a strict fi- straight line across a graph. But mm-hmm. anyway, he tipped across the line. He got metformin, which I, as I mentioned, is yeah. probably an anti-aging drug. He also started taking more recently what's called an NAD booster, which is, so NAD is a small molecule we make naturally, but we think we make less of it as we get older. Mm. Now you can boost NAD by exercising and being hungry sometimes, but also you can take molecules called NAD precursors. The one my father takes is called NMN, Nancy, mm-hmm. Mary, Nancy, not M&Ms. Don't take M&Ms to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> anyway, the, we don't know if this is working, of course. A clinical trial of one doesn't tell you much. But mm-hmm. what I can tell you is that his physical health has been transformed. He was not a very physical guy when I was living with him in, in his 40s and 50s very early 50s. And now he's super athletic. He's stronger than I am. He's fitter than I am. And I'm 50 now myself. Mm. And it's remarkable to see. And also on mental health. Now, it's not my specialty, Caroline, Mm -hmm. you're the expert here, but I've seen a massive transformation in his outlook. You know, we're taught that as you get Mm. older, you become sadder and sadder and lonelier and lonelier. Because my father's health is getting better as he gets older. He's taken on a a new career over the last few years. Amazing. He bought his dream car, which was a Tesla Model 3. Oh, I love that. And he's 80 now. He's living the life that he always wanted to lead and is super upbeat and healthy mentally, travels the world and looks forward to the future. That's wonderful motivation for you to carry on and doing in doing what you're doing. That's incredible. But I know, I know that you not only are you doing what you're doing in terms of longevity, but you also have a PhD in microbiology. And I mean, David, just before we started the interview, I happened to be reading your section on ready for the worst. And you talk about the Spanish flu and how we definitely don't need another pandemic. But here I am interviewing you in the midst of a pandemic where you're all isolated. And I know that you have something to say about that. And I'd love you just to for a moment, diversify from longevity and talk about this coronavirus pandemic that we're facing? Well, yeah, clearly we're in, in the middle of something that human history has never seen before. And I mean that we've never been united as a species against one foe, which gives me a lot of hope that we're going to get through this mm. and we're not going to, you know, in, I think the year 2022 is going to be a, a, a fantastic year, similar to the roaring 20s after mm-hmm. 1918. And remember in 1918, they were just finishing a world war. It was it's horrific. Exactly. And we don't. We still have all our buildings. Everything's ready to go back to work. It's not. It's not pleasant. What we're living through is unprecedented. But I'm. I'm totally enthralled by scientists and doctors, and everybody in the world coming together to conquer this. So that's just my the first thing I wanted to say. 
I was actually talking to some people about that to my kids actually last night and just saying this is the scientists of the world, the people that are really thinking through this, this situation are actually really collaborating. It's, a, it's an amazing time of collaboration amongst humanity. Yeah. And so, for example, I guess most people know me for my work on aging, but I, I do a fair amount of other things because I, I, I think I have ADHD. You pro- probably should diagnose me at one point. <laughs> no, I just but, think you're brilliant. I, that's all. I just think you're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, I do like to do a lot of reading and, and solve problems and I have an insatiable curiosity. So what that's led me into is everything from computing to understanding viral infections. And this was going back many, many years ago. And that's why in part in my book, I talk about the coming pandemic and what the world is going to go through when this hits. I mean, now we're basically in it. And, and what I wrote in the, in the book is still very relevant because it's predicting what, what's going to happen over the coming months and years and what we should do about it and what we should do about it when it comes again, not if, but when. But yeah, so I, I, I also started a, a, a company in full disclosure out of my lab. It's called ArcBio, A-R-C-B-I-O. It's an interesting story. The, I describe this in the book. It's a story about my daughter, Natalie. We have three kids, my wife and mm-hmm. I, and the middle daughter. She didn't have any sign of a bite from any bug, but she had symptoms of Lyme disease. And we took her to Children's Hospital in Boston. Mm-hmm. And the doctors didn't know what to do. They thought it was meningitis in her brain. She was losing her eyesight. And they took a spinal tap. They take the fluid out of the spinal cord or near the spinal cord. And what you end up finding is that you might have Lyme disease. Typically, that test is not very reliable, the one that they first do. And that was not enough for the insurance company to pay for the treatment, which is an antibiotic doxycycline. So there Mm -hmm. we were as parents watching our daughter go downhill. We were reading that she has a 50-50 chance of dying because if it was Lyme disease in her Mm -hmm. brain or meningitis, she could die. She was going blind and the doctors wouldn't treat her. So I said, doctors, give me the Mm -hmm. spinal fluid. I'll go across the road. I'll read the DNA that's in there, sequence it, we call it, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll know what's in there. And they refused to give me that sample. I can't believe was, it. It was really frustrating. So what that led me to do after my our daughter Natalie recovered, fortunately the, the test came back a couple of days later, positive that she got the treatment for six weeks of direct, what's called a pick line, as you know, into yeah. the heart, delivering large amounts of doxycycline fluid into her heart every day for six weeks. Mm-hmm. It's pretty traumatic, especially for my Sorry wife. Sorry you had to go through that, gosh. Yeah, but tens of thousands of uh, people contract Lyme disease, and that's just one infectious disease. So what I, I decided to do was to team up with a good friend of mine, Carlos Bustamante, who's out at Stanford University. He studies old DNA out of mummies. He did Kennewick Man, if anyone knows that. I think he also did Utsi, the Iceman, the mm. genome. His expertise is pulling DNA out of very small and degraded samples. My expertise was comparing DNA sequences very quickly using supercomputers that we were building mm-hmm. in my lab. Bottom line is together we've built this company that makes the kits to detect viruses and other pathogens. So with one blood test or a, or a sample from your mouth, it can see all of the infectious agents in the body. And so I've been on the front lines and getting back to the positive message, we had this, well, I don't want to say come to Jesus moment, but we had this mm-hmm. massive company meeting where we said, and the CEO who's brilliant, Todd Dickinson, which just by the way, his PhD led to the company Illumina, which is valued at $40 billion. So he's an amazing wow. guy too to work with. We all came together, of course, on Zoom. We, weren't, we were not uh, together, but we decided to stop everything we were doing 
to roll out for diseases for transplantation and focus 100% on getting scaling up the coronavirus tests. So it's been amazing to be on the front lines as well. Oh my gosh, so you're on the front lines of helping develop the coronavirus testing. Yeah, well, I should say I'm I'm one step back from the front lines because I'm not in the hospitals treating yeah, patients, okay. fortunately. You're, you're yeah, the just, scientist behind the scenes developing what yeah. we need. Right. And, and so I have some credibility talking about viruses and what they're doing to the planet right now. I would think so. Gosh. And can you just speak a little bit more about that? What's going to happen? You say we're going to get through this. Not that anyone really knows. Can you give us some input on that level? Right. Well, I'm watching the numbers every day in every country, trying to see which country we're emulating. So the thing is that it's probably two years from now before life gets back to total normal, if it ever does. I think we'll we'll Mm. always remember this and we'll hopefully learn from it. Right. And hopefully we'll be better prepared next time with with warehouses of gear and tests ready to go. Mm -hmm. But for now, I don't have a crystal ball and it's always dangerous Mm -hmm. to predict the future in something that's changing every day. But if you allow me to speculate, even at the risk of being wrong. So what I see coming is that in the next six weeks, I'm doubtful that we'll go back to school and back to work full time. I think they'll, we'll slowly go back and they'll eventually allow various things to go back. Restaurants and things like this are, are essential if they don't want to go out of business. What we will see though, is the flattening of the curve. Hopefully will start to Mm -hmm. happen in the next few weeks, the same way Mm -hmm. it did in Italy and China before it. So if you look at Italy, the curves and the numbers about 10 days ago were neck and neck. We were just Mm -hmm. 10 days behind. And I was thinking Italy is the best role model for what's going to happen in New York. Mm. Unfortunately, we've gone, we've gotten worse than Italy. And we've, we've started to go from every four days, doubling the number of cases. In New York now, it's doubling every two days, which mm. is the worst right now anywhere, and uh, as far as I know. And so New York is a hotbed, and I think it's because people are so closely packed together and they Mm. cannot avoid touching things and being near each other in public. So that's scary for New York. I think other places are more like Italy. So Massachusetts and the south of the US, parts of Europe were going to be much more like Italy, which means that it is conquerable. If you look at Italy, the cases are starting to slow and will go down over the next month or so, not to zero. In fact, it's important to recognize that we cannot eliminate this virus unless we have a vaccine or somewhere between 30% and 75% of us have suffered through the disease and survived. Mm-hmm. And built the immunity. Yeah. We started building it. Right. So people are saying minimum 18 months for a vaccine. That's that's probably the case for US efforts. There's a, there's a company called Moderna, which was started by a friend of mine out of Harvard, his company is going full bore at this and they've started trials a little over three weeks ago. And probably they're going to be at least a year, probably 18 months before they have a vaccine that's safe and known to be safe. This is the issue. There was actually a study in monkeys for the previous SARS. Remember SARS-1? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They found that the vaccine actually made the monkeys worse. So they have to be these Very researchers careful. really mm. careful that they don't cause any harm. And that's why I think it's going to take at least 18 months. But I'm I'm more optimistic about the Chinese efforts. My understanding is that, the, that there are many months ahead of the US. And I'm hopeful that if the Chinese are successful in having a vaccine, that they'll share that with the world. 
Oh yes, hopefully. I'm sure that with the collaboration that's occurring now that that will be the case. Sometimes it's just so hard to get all the essential nutrients and vitamins your brain and body needs. That's why supplements can be a great option, but there are just so many out there and it can be confusing and overwhelming. Trust me, I know. So I did some research. Well, actually, a lot of research, because that's what I do. And I came across Ritual. Ritual is the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. For me personally, I love how Ritual values transparency. For obsessive label readers, all of Ritual's vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free and allergen-free ingredients and their sources are out there for the whole world to see. It's so important for me to know what I am putting into my body. And right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your ritual today. The links will be in the show notes as well. So what is your opinion on the in terms of treatments? About 18 months for vaccine and be following the same sort of pathway as Italy. And then in terms of treatments, what's your opinion on the current research? There we're going to see proof of efficacy, as we call it, with small molecules. So that's a fancy way of saying these chemicals that companies like Gilead who make remdesivir, the antiviral compound, that we're going to see those with efficacy proof in the next few months. Already we have some sign of hope with chloroquine and ZPAC, azithromycin. <laughs> it's on the borderline. These clinical trials out of China and France have been small. So mm-hmm. the more conservative doctors and the, the CDC are saying, be careful and certainly don't go out and try to treat yourself. I heard last night that yes. there was a couple. That, yeah, they that took some. To mm-hmm. pick, yeah, they ate fish tank cleaner. Can Do you not, believe it? Do not take anything that you have at home. You need a prescription for these medicines. You mm-hmm. could die. So Thanks for saying that. Be yeah. very cautious about these treatments that people are talking about, especially home remedies. We really don't know of anything that's going to cure the disease at home right now. There are, what you want to do, though, is keep your health up. You want to maintain aerobic fitness because your lungs are going to help you if you catch this disease. And I think if you can lower your weight, if, you're, if you have excess weight, it can only help to So basically following the principles that you teach in your book are going to definitely boost one's strength and immune system and internal environment and get your epigenetic factors working at another level. So it's something that people can do themselves. They can do that at home while they're in isolation currently. Oh, exactly. So I used to go to the gym a few weeks ago, once a week, because I was usually on planes at the other times of traveling. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm uh, holed up at home, I'm working out every other day. I use this as an opportunity to get into even better shape. And I think it's a great opportunity for everybody who's wondering what to do at home to to use this time to either to get into shape, to eat the right things, hopefully, to eat less than usual. I skip breakfast at least, sometimes lunch if I can, though it's difficult, and or to exercise mental health, learn a new language. Duolingo is being used by my son to learn German and my wife to learn Chinese right now. Yeah, so it's a it's an opportunity. There is a silver lining to all of this. I agree with you. I will we'll come through this and we'll come through learning hopefully a lot more. And and it's interesting how at this time, as you say, after the Spanish flu, we didn't have buildings. You know, so it was it was post war. Now we're not in that situation. So there 
hopefully we'll be using the advances in technology and medicine that will get through this and come back quicker and more wise and living more in a preventative way. Like you say about aging, we need to be preventative about that, proactive. We need to turn our lives from being hurry, constant hurry and reactive to proactive. And, and I love that approach that you actually have in your book in terms of aging. David, let's pivot a little. You suffered a major career setback scientifically and it was like a major thing. I'd love for you to just briefly talk about what happened. How did you recover? What did you learn professionally and personally? How did you get your mind managed that you could actually pull things together? And you also have an incident in your life where you were homeless for a year. So I know you know that I was going to ask you those things. So let's roll out those questions that I've just laid out for you. Yeah. So I'm asked pretty often by young scientists or just young people in general, they'll write to me and say, David, what what do I suggest? What's the secret to success? And if I can boil it down to one thing, it would be stubbornness, you know, or call it resilience. I suffer from sadness and, and mental blows pretty often. It's a tough mm-hmm. business being science. It's mm-hmm. the job I of agree your with you. to try to rip you apart. So that it's it's a tough business, right? There's not, not a lot of collegiality. I can so. relate. I can relate, yeah. yeah. And so start, starting in terms of chrono- chronological order, I was doing a PhD in Australia and I ended up doing one year in Cardiff, Wales, studying yeast cells, trying to figure out a disease called maple syrup urine disease. You can figure out why it's called that. The upshot of that was that I I had no money. I had no way to pay rent. And so I had to live in other people's houses and strangers' houses. I would find strangers Mm -hmm. at, at the bar and say, can I please live with you for a few weeks? And Sometimes they'd say yes. So that was hardship. Mm. So I learned what it was like to live on the floor or sleep on a beanbag and eat canned or tin tuna for, for many months. But that gave me some resilience. I knew I could handle adversity. And so I moved to America with basically a suitcase in my mid-20s. But the biggest blow that I had came in 2010, where the resveratrol discovery that resveratrol activates the CERT1 enzyme was disputed and completely disputed. They said, it's all wrong. Who's they? Two of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, scientists at those companies. Mm. And of course, everyone's going to say, well, of course, these companies know more than David. He's just a little lab. And so mm. I spent a week in bed saying, you know, screw the world. Mm. I've been killing myself trying to help humanity. And if this is how I'm treated, you know, at, at that point, I could have just stayed in bed for for mm-hmm. many years. I, I didn't need to go to work. I had tenure at Harvard, but I learned that I'm not very good at at sitting around. Uh, so mm-hmm. I went back to the lab, pulled out some old data, looked at it, said, "You know what, team, this looks promising. Let's go to work." And I have to credit one student, Basil Harvard, who's now a professor in Canada, who had the grit, determination, and resilience to even go against his colleagues within my own lab who said, this is crazy, mm-hmm. and prove that we were right. And so now all of that is behind us. And I proved that these pharmaceutical company scientists were wrong, but it was tough. It's really tough. Well, but now I know that I have the strength to get through things like that. And, that, and that's so relevant. I mean, first of all, that's tough. That's like what you've been through is just too often heard in science where giant pharma overrides very valid science. And I know that you spoke about in one of your interviews that you've submitted a paper for publication and you had two, what's it, three positives and one negative and they and they hung on to the negative and now you're in a process of appeal. And so that's just like ridiculous, even though you've now proven and shown exactly what your research is true and it works and it's effective. That's not easy to go through that. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to add that, and this isn't just a couple of students 
careers that are on, on the line with this. This is 25 scientists in 15 labs around the world working for a decade on this. Wow. And all of that is in a couple of manuscripts that you just mentioned were rejected for no good reason. Gosh. And you and one wonders what that reason, but you're in a process of appeal now and, and hopefully that's going to come out positively. And you've written a fantastic book, so you get the, you're getting your, your message to the world, which is incredibly important. I don't know about you, but uncomfortable shoes are one of the quickest ways to ruin my mood. But finding shoes that combine comfort with style is sometimes such a challenge. That's why I love Rothy's. Rothy's shoes are crazy comfortable, fully machine washable, come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns, and they're available in a range of styles like sneakers, loafers, points, and more. They are the perfect combination of comfort and style. I have a few pairs now and cannot stop telling people about them. They also make great gifts, plus Rothy's always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. No risk, no worries, no reason not to try. And if that's not enough to convince you to try them, it will blow your mind that they are made from repurposed plastic water bottles. In fact, Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills already. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Go to rothys.com R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Dr. Leaf today. The link will also be in the show notes. I know that another inspiration for your work was your mom. Do you want to just speak a little about that? So my, my mother was the kindest person you'll ever meet. Her role in life was to care for her children. Actually, she she almost killed us with kindness. She was mm-hmm. always offering nuts or smoked oysters. It was the 1970s, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would come over with friends and we'd be, be, we'd be fed to death and we would always have wonderful meals and we'd be told to eat it all up. So I was actually fairly chubby as a kid, but I grew up with a very caring mother. Now, she developed cancer when she was my age, 50, lung cancer. She had one of her two lungs removed. She lived another 20 years and fortunately managed to see her grandkids and travel the world. But what she showed me was if you don't take care of your body, and she was a smoker who never exercised, you can die a horrible death versus my father who took his health into his hands and has lived far beyond what we were predicting. Mm, that's incredible. That was a lot of the inspiration for your work that you've done. David, I've, I could talk to you all day. This is you're just fascinating with all the knowledge that you have. And, and, and I know we have a time limit. So I'd love to invite you to come back onto my podcast sometime again, just to explore these concepts deeper, because I feel like we've only just touched the tip of the iceberg. But if you had to just give one closing statement, what would you say? Well, I would say that this moment in time is one where we should be doing the best we can. We are all in this together for the first time in human history, actually in the, for the first time in the history of this planet, mm. a whole species is facing one enemy. It's as if the aliens have come down, but actually they've just come out of the forest to get us. Wow. Uh, this is biblical scales, even worse than biblical times. Yeah. So we live in a, a very, very interesting moment in history. We're right in the middle of it, which means that we need to Listen to the advice of experts, not not hacks. Mm-hmm. Please don't, don't, don't follow the clickbait. Mm-hmm. But be optimistic that scientists are on this case. Doctors are doing their very best. And the leaders in industry have been mobilized. I've been 
at the center of the distribution of some of these kits to detect the virus. Mm. And actually, China, I would love to give a, a shout out to China. There, there are a number of scientists and companies in China who have reached out to help the US and actually are sending millions of, of kits. David, how can people find out more about you and your work and get your book? Well, I'm putting out a weekly newsletter now about coronavirus, about its biology, what people can do and what I'm learning reading the scientific papers that are coming out every day. You can sign up for that newsletter at lifespanbook.com. Also, I'm on social media, so I'm fairly active these days on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is David A. Sinclair and Instagram is David Sinclair, PhD. Fantastic. And this amazing book of yours, that's a New York Times bestseller that I strongly recommend called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to. Absolutely essential reading. David, thank you so much for joining me today. And I really am looking forward to following your work and talking to you again. Thanks, Caroline. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.